it was about, you know, it's not, it's about elevating, improving the individual, right? It's not about just automating what they do, but freeing them up to have a better life, right? And giving you more time to do what you enjoy and having satisfaction the time that we have here, right? That to me is, is the biggest. Welcome back to Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Hey everyone, I just had the honor of sitting down with someone who is straight up shaping the hyper automation industry as we know it. My friend Matt Warda has been in the workflow management and automation space since the 80s. He has implemented countless automations and workflows for his clients. He currently leads the business automation product management team at none other than my alma mater, International Business Machines or IBM. What does IBM's Director of Business Automation Product Management have to say about hyperautomation? Let's get into it. Mr. Matt Warda, thanks so much for being here today. How are you? Good, man. Good to see you. Awesome. Hope you're staying cool down in Austin. It's been a hot summer. Trying, trying. The air condition's running extra hard. And uh, Oh, yeah. But it's, oh, yeah. Been, it's been a squelcher, for sure. Mm-hmm. So we've been working together in the world of hyper-automation, workflow, um, for the better part of the last decade. So we know each other pretty well. But for those out there listening that maybe haven't heard of you or worked with you in the past... Um, who is Matt Warda? How did you get into this workflow hyperautomation space originally? And um, what are you up to nowadays? Yeah, yeah, no. So um, it's been great working with you, and uh, I'm glad you, you asked me for to join for today. So I, I really got in the space right out of college, um, probably the first year out of college uh, by accident. Uh, um, worked for an insurance prov- <laughs> uh, payer um, in, up in Wisconsin, and and they had bought a uh, technology, a workflow technology from IBM at that point called MQ Workflow. And that's when I got my first taste of uh, process automation and just loved it. Uh, prior to that, mm-hmm. I was a mobile developer and then Java and Visual Basic and, and Power Builder was that as well. So mm-hmm. uh, but got into that and then, you know, throughout my career, then moved in, worked for IBM, was in services for a long time, did some tech sales and then worked in the IBM partner community for probably over, over a decade, I think almost 12 years um, working all in automation, predominantly around process workflow automation, include RPA, but then also, you know, decisions, et cetera. But how do we actually improve, you know, overall outcomes and productivity of, of organizations, right? How they do their work. Um, it was always in my focus and passion and, and helping lead organizations in that area. And then, you know, most recently I came back to IBM about three years ago in product management, and I'm now the director of product management for IBM's business automation division, which covers, you know, our workflow, BPM process automation, um, decision management, um, RPA, process mining, uh, as well as our content services um, as well. Congratulations. No, That's thank you. A great appointment yeah, you're yeah. at. And a long legacy of helping implement workflow into the marketplace. I've got a question sure. maybe later on about kind of evolutions in the market seems like we kind of have been seeing some cycles and we may be in or what feels like a bit of a cycle now. Um, actually let's jump into that. Um, workflow is not a new concept in our history of hyper automation episode. Our audience heard the whole origin story getting started in the mid late eighties. If I remember correctly, 
just what's your general take on how workflow has evolved? What cycles have you seen? And are there any current market drivers that are maybe moving the trend needle one way or another this year in 2022? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been very secular, right? Where we've seen, you know, workflow and process automation kind of have you know, lots of popularity, then it kind of goes down and it comes back up, you know, to your point, like back in the eighties, you know, it was really around process reengineering, right. Was the term that was used and that came evolved into, you know, workflow yeah, or and the, paperless office. Yeah. And then business process management uh, was a term for a long time, right. A long time. And then we saw, you know, process automation, BPA business process automation, and then workflow again, as a term that coming in and, there's been, I would say, a lot of overlap in those terms where, you know, at points in time, workflow was considered to be a capability of a, of a business process management suite. And I, and I would agree with that, you know, mm-hmm. process automation requiring more than just the orchestration of tasks, but the visibility, the, the ability to measure, um, interact with. But today, you know, it, it seems like workflow, again, has taken over and really means the, the, that broader spectrum of, of capabilities within there. So where's it evolved? I mean, it's it's always been, you know, and, and I don't, and I see that sometimes people are like, eh, I don't know, but it's, it, we're really trying to solve the same problems. The technology has advanced greatly, right? And there's been a lot mm-hmm. of changes in technology and the types of technologies we've applied to automate processes or to manage processes or govern processes, right? But it's always come down to how do I improve the productivity of my organization, right? How do I get yeah. things done in a predictable fashion? How can I, you know, reduce costs? I'd say back in the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s. It was really thought about as a cost-cutting measure, right? To reduce costs, save time. Reduce in time to be total cycle time of getting a product out the door, approving, you know, an insurance um, application to just reducing the amount of wait time or amount of time something sitting on a desk and and really doing that. But we've seen the shift now, I think, in the last probably five years, really in the last three, on Mm -hmm. looking at automation, process automation around improving customer experiences, Right. It's cost cutting is a secondary benefit. I think we all understand that by doing this, we're going to get time savings, we're going to get cost cutting, but really, again, focusing in on that predictability and consistency and improvement of customer experiences is the main focal and the biggest benefit that we're seeing on a a workflow or process automation today. It sounds like when workflow was getting introduced, it was about cost cutting. Now it's more about creating an experience for the customer. We're definitely in an experience economy millennials and zennials buying more experiences as opposed to goods and services that's how they evaluate who they want to do business with or not is the experience that they get and they're talking about the experiences more vocally so totally get the investment in experiences with workflow management that connection makes sense what about other drivers we're coming out of a pretty um pretty new macroeconomic reality maybe businesses are trying not to lead you but maybe businesses are trying to find new ways of working new ways of getting work done you know they might have gotten through the last couple years 2020 2021 just by sheer brute force but now that we're kind of coming out of it maybe some companies are taking a step back and really looking at their processes as a function of you know coming out of the pandemic or maybe it's the great resignation right where they the amount of work hasn't changed, but their employee count has, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Great resignation. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of trends there. Do you think maybe those are 
also contributing to and what I've noticed as an uptick in oh, workflow? Definitely. definitely. I'd say, you know, other than customer experience, you really mentioned three things, you know, three core areas there that are really the drivers as well. Start with the last one you, you mentioned. I think the great resignation is, is having a huge impact on the way we work and how we work, having the number of resources or even having the same amount of resources or trying to retain talent, right? So we have maybe had a lot of people left, fewer people, but sure. as you mentioned, we still need to get the work done. So how can I apply automation for those types of things that I can automate so that there's less work for people to actually touch? But then mm-hmm. also what we're seeing is is automation as a way to retain talent, right? Yeah, By the picky employee to, yes. trend. Yeah, like, you know, it's, it's how do I make your job more rewarding? How, you know, where automation was about just automating things, but really what we're seeing is a secondary benefit is how does it give you a you know a better work life experience between freeing up and allowing you to work on more things and giving you time to up your skills right by doing training because you're not spending you know eight to fourteen hours a day just tr- just firefighting trying to get the things done in front of you but really just having that more rewarding work and flexibility and allowing you to have advancement within an organization um, there so really on the, the the human benefit as well you mentioned the pandemic right and uh, you know it's it's one of those things it's like Oh, we mentioned it every time. And it gets I know, can't escape it though. But it's but it's been so impactful, right? You, you know, the resignation and the way we work, we're all working remote. So to do that, right, we have to have connected systems. We can't be passing paper between each other any longer. So we need to digitize more and more mm-hmm. and more from that. And then well as the fact that a lot of the manual processes that people had, right now we're not sitting together, that tribal knowledge of what happens next and what happens in this situation and what needs to be done in a timely fashion, but not affecting you know my customers that I'm serving. It was a real reality that we have to automate more of our processes and govern them more electronically and digitize more because when we're in these situations, we don't, I can't just go and lean over and say, Jim, what are you doing? Or, you know, just that social aspect of how we worked, work just got done by performing it. Right. We really didn't yeah. think about, about managing it from that perspective from there. And then, and then, you know, I guess the fourth one is the resilience. Right. And, and I think you alluded to it, right. When you're talking about macroeconomics and working differently, but is the ability to change our ability to, to be able to respond to, to third party unpredicted, you know, change that comes out of nowhere where, you know, if I have more automated, I can and change the way a process executes more easily than trying to go train 200 new people across that overall end to end process and how to perform differently. Now they're working in different locations. So it's that resilience mm-hmm. as well, and that ability to react to change that we're seeing as a real driver. Sure. Yeah. Resilience to new ways of working, new customer experience oriented ways of working and new compliance requirements that may come in, you know, out of left field. I can see how workflow helps accommodate both of those equally. Um, Not to take a left turn here, but you mentioned task automation, which is a term associated with robotic process automation, RPA. Um, You're responsible for both and many other capabilities at the IBM product level. Would love to ask you about what is the difference between RPA and workflow, let's call it. Or asked differently, what's the difference between task automation and workflow management or workflow automation? Um, how do they compare and contrast? How would you, you know, not the textbook definition for what's the difference, but how do you think through the difference between the two when to use one or the other? Yeah, I, I think, but as you mentioned, you know, I think you, you answered a little bit like task automation versus work automation, but maybe it's not the, the textbook, but I still like to use a little bit of the, this traditional sure, yeah, go for it. yeah so bpm or process management 
or workflow to me is more holistic, right? It's end to end um, process automation. It's really about looking at and optimizing and improving your end to end process, right? And within there, you have activities and tasks that need to be done. And so that's where RPA, RPA is focused traditionally, is focused more on those discrete individual tasks that I need to complete that are part of a process, right? So they're usually singular and who they're doing that for. So it's usually a single individual and what I need to do to complete a task that is assigned to me that's part of a larger process. Everything that we do traditionally within an organization is serving some purpose, some process, which is a tied to some value chain within an organization, which is really you know a value chain about the identification, creation, and delivery of value uh, to your end customer or partner, right, or vendor, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the employee. Your, your employee, right. So it all serves, right. So they're all interrelated from from that perspective. That was great. Yeah. It sounds like RPA is nested within BPM. Task automation would be nested within the broader running process that workflow would manage within which you have humans doing tasks. You can yeah. have systems doing tasks. You can have integrations. So yeah, for those out there wondering what is the difference between robotic process automation, which may be a bit of a misnomer, right? Maybe, maybe we could change in, in a well-adopted industry term to RTA robotic <laughs> task automation. Maybe you could make that happen. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because you could, but if you think about process, the, the term itself, right, is so overloaded and it's been overloaded, right, for, for a very long time. I think when we think of it from, you know, automation or from, you know, our backgrounds, we think of it as a business process. And then when we think about process, we think of it at that way as, right, as you mentioned, the, the coordination of all the activities between resources, human, digital, systems, et cetera, right, that align to achieve an overall outcome, right, that are aligned to your goals. And that's governing that. And in there can be bots and whatnot. But if I, you know, if I look back at, you know, when I started early on in my career and I was doing some internal training on a a process discovery and modeling tool, um, I used a very simple, what I call the process, which was making a pot of coffee to demonstrate how you could use that tool. Now, it was good for for training for the tool, but was a horrible example of a true process in my mind, right? But we still use that term process in our personal lives as those things that we just do, right? I think from a BPM perspective or a workflow perspective, we're talking about t- typically those things that require multiple participants and individuals and systems and multiple activities um, that need to be coordinated over a period of time to align to some type of outcome or goal that you're trying to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're seeing capability crop up as a new term for process. Yeah. What processes support your business? You yes. know. That, that's getting a bit overused to your point, but what capabilities does your business offer the marketplace? Yes. Wealth management, as an example. Well, yes. well, what capabilities do you offer your employees internally? Uh, laptop refresh may be a capability within your IT division. So yeah, agreed. Process is, is not a new term. Okay, another question for you, Matt. I'm curious, you have been a part of a, many workflow management implementations throughout your career, do any come to mind as favorites? A secondary kind of part two to this question would be, are there any no-brainer either workflow or RPA use cases that a automation or hyper-automation leader should um, should pay a little bit extra attention to? Yeah, um, I'll try to answer in a couple different ways. Like, I think first we'll start, like, it really depends by industry, right? But if I look at it across the board, some of the most common ones that I have done and seen again and again really have to do around um, onboarding, 
right? Is a no-brainer from, from a workflow perspective. That can be onboarding of an employee, can be the onboard onboarding of vendor management, a vendor, right, that wants to that you want to work with, and the, the multiple activities and steps that have to go through from vetting them out and doing the background checks if it's depending if they're providing you you know, carpet for your office or something more important as material of something you're going to go and produce and the different levels of activities you need to perform to basically make them a vendor to spend a lot of time in finance and insurance. I don't know. I probably worked on over 20 different organizations on called new business enrollment, right? Or, or quote to card, right? If I'm working with an insurance payer on application of insurance to all the steps and activities till I actually now have that policy in force and they've got an insurance card now that they can use both, you know, medical, property casualty, et cetera. So that's very common uh, within there. And then you see just a spattering of other things, you know, looking at manufacturing, engineering change request is, is, is a big one, obsolescence, or, or just looking at your overall, you know, order to cash process. There's how many, probably a hundred or more processes, sub-processes within there that could be mm-hmm. automated, right? Oh, they're also important. You need to onboard yeah. vendors. You need to onboard customers. You need yeah. to buy products to run your business. Raw supply materials. Chain. Supply chain is huge right oh now. Oh my gosh, especially yeah. now. Yeah. And these parts are going off the market so quickly. If you aren't managing or automating your new part intake process, which involves vendor onboarding, you're going to miss out on a lot of those parts that'll get snapped up in the open market. Um, are, are all of those your favorite use cases? The idea of just making companies more efficient, just in general, your favorite thing to do professionally? I, mean, I would, is, say, I would is... say, yeah. I mean, I th- we focus mostly on, um, I think, the work. We can talk about RP in a second, too. But my favorite has to be exactly that. It's, it's, it's any type of process that's differentiating and has an impact on the business and also the employee, right? And if we can do mm-hmm. both, both, right? Like, like we talk a lot about customer experience, but really employee experience is as critical, if not more, we all know that that's the largest investment that any company has is in their employees. So if you can mm-hmm. use technology to service your customers, as well as having a better employee experience, they're going to service your customers even better. And those companies that have, you know, be- the best and happiest employees are usually the ones that are most successful are, and competitive within their, their, their respective markets and areas. So, yeah, I, I mean, anything that, that, that makes something better, I, I, I get a kick out of that, right? I mean... Um, yeah, sound like a, a true industrial engineer. <laughs> I can't get rid of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then I think just patterns, right? Anything mm-hmm. where you see like sees time delays, you, I need better visibility and understanding going into like the RPA, right? So for example, there's a lot about BPM and workflow, but from an RPA perspective, redundant tasks, repetitive tasks, anything that I can, that's predictable that I can say, Hey, I know how to do this again and again and again. Why not automate that with RPA and get the value from that and then have that participate within your process? So, Any awesome RPA use cases coming to mind, either by way of a startling outcome or just like the story? Yeah, so I think probably my favorite, and I use this one quite a bit probably, was RPA about seven, eight years ago. And it was really focused in on, you know, anytime I'm, I'm rekeying data within systems and, and, and I'd say had good impact, but it was a lot of RPA bots, right? One of the times I worked on, we had 800 RPA deployments in a single year. So it was the total mass of benefit, um, which is great about RPA, right? It was value to cost and time to value. That was what mm-hmm. RPA allowed us to do at a singular individual level within c- certain departments, right? So it's a lot, a lot around call centers, right? Where you're keying between mm-hmm. multiple systems and all that and, 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 and huge value, right? Great customer impact. Probably my, my most favorite, though, was um, when we looked at our, using RPA 
And we did use workflow in the, with it as well, but it was it started as a predominantly an RPA effort where an organization was looking at going into a brand new line of business, something they had never done before, um, happened to be within wealth management and, and, and annuities, and they needed to basically provide new products to all the all states within the U.S. And to do that, they had to bring on about 10,000 um, independent agents right, to, to sell and service these products, which needed to be vetted, needed to be certified that they had the right training and, and, and certifications to be able to do this. Within the states, had to be then each state had its own regulations that had to be gone through. And we looked at that, and the projection was that it would take about hiring of 20 people and up to 18 months to do this manually to, to achieve this, right? And with RPA, we were within three months be able to put bots in place that were able to do the onboarding of all 10,000 people and allow them to go to market, you know, 12 to 15 months sooner than what they had expected. Wow. Um, and really- How cool. And, and, the, and those bots, after it was done, all went away. But the cost to benefit analysis of creating something, and we didn't deal with technology much, right? We spent all this time building these bots. We did have some workflow coordination that we needed, right? within there as well. So there was some workflow, but we built it and guess what? Probably. And then after that, really didn't use it again. Now there were some that were saved for new applicants and things like that, but majority of the work was throwaway. And, and that was a shift, right? We talked about earlier, like some shifts in the market was that we can invest in technology, get the value from it, and then walk away because it's so great and, and its impact that it can have. And that, and that was huge, right? And it was tunes of several cool million story. dollars. Uh, of oh, being able to go to market. Say that like again, that. translated into, did I oh, get yeah, it right? was several millions of dollars that they were able to, by just going to market sooner, by getting into the market Amazing. earlier, that they wouldn't have been wow. able to do it. And really using Love that, that as a way to, to support a new business line, right? Oh, yeah. While they put systems in place, you know, in parallel. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a synonym for robotic process automation or bots is digital labor. Yes. Um, even myself, you gave me a, a new wrinkle in my brain there, Matt. I always get new wrinkles with you. But think about bots as you build them and they're there to stay. But this example is kind of like a digital contractor where you bring them in for three months to do all of your onboarding and then their contract expires. You decommission the bot and you move on with business. Yes. What, uh, how interesting. Yeah. And I think that applies to automation in general from a maturity model, right? Is that I can use different types of automation at different points in time to get the value while I mature, right? So, you know, coming back from the whole continuous process improvement realm and the five levels of, of, of process maturity, right, is ultimate state is straight through, right? Things just flow and there's no human intervention. And then that you're left with only the exceptions, right? But that's, that takes time. And so you can apply different automations that you'll replace or eliminate once you've achieved something more or you no longer have use for it, um, but you get the value from it. And I think the, that's what we're seeing is the cost who can do automation, the cost and time to do automation is now at a, at a level that I can, can do. So I can hire co- digital labor contractors, right? I can put a process in place temporarily while I'm implementing really the final state solution that I, that I over want, that I'm, that I'm looking at putting in place. It's being an ERP or a new CRM, but I can put these processes in place very quickly to manage and serve the business until I'm at that state and I don't have to wait. Yeah. It's getting so accessible. And to your point, the reason your earlier point, the reason behind automation really hasn't changed over the last 30, 40 years hasn't changed at all. But one thing that has is the accessibility to it. One of our last customers is a six person company 
talk about yeah. accessibility. The one of the last bots we built paid for itself in three months. Talk about accessibility. Um, IBM has one out of South America I read about recently that paid for itself in one day. Talk about accessibility. Um, so that is one thing that really does delight me as we think about the general adoption of this type of technology. And even same for workflow. Um, workflow is a bit heavier than than RPA from a barrier to entry perspective. But if you think about its full-time employee comparison, you hire an office manager to keep things moving more efficiently. Workflow, you know, is is getting extremely competitive to, you know, a, an FTE as an example. So that is one thing I have noticed has changed. Um, maybe talk about low code, no code in the uh, kind of vein of time to value and accessibility. Everything's low code, no code nowadays, especially IBM's workflow <laughs> platforms, which is great. How has that changed over time? Would you agree that it's more accessible because of it? Yeah, like I said, I think it's more accessible. I think, yeah. So I think low code's been around for a while. I think that that, that in itself has evolved. And what's evolved? So low code, no code, it, it really depends on who's using the tool, right? It really comes down to, can I access it? Can I get done what I need to get done? And can I do it quickly? And, and if low code, no code, many times is the answer, but it's the type of style of low code, no code that's needed for the type of problem that that person's trying to solve. And it differs, right? If uh, we, we look a lot about what Gartner's been talking about with these fusion teams, right? Um, where mm -hmm. it's a combination of multidisciplinary of business domain, IT domain, working together and collaborating, but working on projects from different, different aspects of projects and solutions independently and together, right? And that evolves over time until you reach that, that final outcome. But the use of no code and, yeah, and low code now and allowing that for self-service automation by putting it hands in, in basically into any individual that has the, the want to be able to automate and has the domain knowledge and, and time to do it is now accessible to them, right? And so we're seeing a, an evolution there, right, where it's more what we call federated or ungoverned automation by individual departments, um, while IT is working with low-code, still low-code tools, but low-code more suited for their personas, for the types of problems, mm -hmm. and more of those overarching process governance and process optimization initiatives where they're overlaying kind of that governance and end-to-end -end orchestration layer that's using some of these automations that are being developed in a federated manner and ungoverned by the business and bringing them all together to accelerate, you know, their value, journey, quality, productivity, whatever it may be that the organization is shooting for. So it's, 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 it's exciting. Right. And that's what I'm excited about right now, what we've been doing, but yeah. Mm -hmm. it's... Speaking of, uh, of your IBM workflow product and the digital business automation suite you're responsible for, would love yeah. if you brag a little, what are some new features, functions, capabilities that those customers um, should expect to see in the latest version. Um, and I know you can't talk much about roadmap, <laughs> but whatever you can mention, however you yeah. can brag a little bit, what's going on. I mean, I think we can talk about, you know, trends and anyone's been following IBM that won't be that, that big of a, excuse me, um, a surprise to anyone. Right. So a lot of the, 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 the trends that we're looking at specifically in the process automation, business automation space, um, one we've been talking about, right. Is how do we make this so accessible, right. And even moving from low code, no code to automation generation through observation, right? So some of the work wow. that we've been doing in our automation process. Automation generation through observation. observation. Tell us yes. about that. Yeah. So if you look at some of our process and task mining, which is part of our overall business automation, mm -hmm. 
which I think I probably didn't, didn't mention I might cover as well, using some of that technology by, you know, observing what people are doing and being able to generate, you know, RPA bots or task flows, being able to generate process flows that do what you do by observation and can generate them and then go through a level of, you know, self um, validation, right? Yeah. Show me what you do here. That's what I did. This is what, you know, generate it, check it out. Great. Awesome. Now just do this next time for me. So that's a lot of the work in theming and the use of AI and, and machine learning, artificial intelligence and machine learning applied across all business automation and specifically around, you know, workflow and, and RPA as well. You talked about digital labor. So digital labor is something that we've been investing in. Our, our CEO talked about this, I think in two years ago at, at Think around uh, the concept of a digital employee, right? Which is a little bit different than what you've seen in the RPA traditional field, but it's really an AI digital assistant uh, or employee that can curate a set of automations that are relevant to your job and understands what you do and the systems you work with. And then through natural language, it can understand your intent and automate the tasks and activities that you need to do on a day-to-day basis. It could be as simple as, you know, I'm asking my, my digital employee that works for me in my job role, um, I need to count data. Instead of me having to, to know, go out to Salesforce and log in here and then go into some other system and, and get it in their policy, it just knows and says, oh, I know how to do that. And it just gets the, gets the information for me. And then I can train it on, on more complex tasks and activities like generate quote, which will know that it needs to get account data and it needs to get the last uh, quote that was out there. And then it needs to look at the pricing and then it knows, you know, discounting and current uh, levels that of agreements that are in place and then generates a quote for you and can coordinate all those activities on the fly for you um, by, by Sounds simple. more relatable. Yeah than a system or an application helping you get work done faster. These digital employees or these digital assistants is more relatable, at least for me, if I'm, yeah. you know, I am an employee at a company with work to do, uh, as opposed to a bot that is picking up on an input and firing and executing a task. If I had a more relatable digital employee, digital counterpart, digital assistant would be great. Um, yep. Someone I can chat with, or a, there I go, humanizing a, a service I could chat with and say, hey, tell me about this account. I have a meeting coming up or run this quote. It's been requested that that kind of humanizes the experience and I would hope grows adoption. Yeah. Yeah. And and the overall goal is to really make it personal and non-threatening, right? It's relevant to you and how you want to do your job, right? And, and that's the other part of we say about accessibility, but it's also about not just giving me access to it, but making it relatable so that we all work together and we're preserving the individuality of humans. There may be things, you know, Jim, that you do better, that you prefer to have automated that I don't, right? We enjoy different things. We're better at different things. So allow me to use my digital employee that can be trained with the automations that are relevant to me and can work in the context of how Mm -hmm. I do my job daily instead of being dictated to make me look more like, you know, a human. So we've done a lot of, a lot of times, you know, I'd, always go into organizations and say, you know, let me tell you, tell me what you do and then I'll automate it. But then I come back with a solution that tells you how to work differently, right? What if we could actually bring those two worlds together that still gives you that freedom of how you want to work, improves the enjoyment you have at your work and leverage automation within the context of your day instead of telling everybody they all have to work the same. And so that's Mm -hmm. kind of the area I'm, I'm really excited about. And it really gets down to that digital employee experience, right? 
So what I mean by digital experience, let me take a step back there. So digital experience is, is my experience I have at a company with all the types of, uh, of digital interfaces I work with, right? We're, we're used to an iPhone mm-hmm. in our personal life. So everything's right there. But in a company, you got how many systems you interact with on a daily basis that you probably don't even imagine that you have to learn. And when a change happens, well, what if I could just have one digital interaction and that's through a digital employer, a digital interface, and I ask it what to do and it knows how to work with all those systems for me to achieve the outcomes that I'm asking for. That would be a lot easier than having to train everybody easier. on the 100 or 1,000 different applications that an average organization has. Yeah, there's got to be tens of millions of dollars in waste involving just the training of new yes. employees on all those systems and how to get what you need to do compared yep. to have a digital assistant. Who doesn't want an assistant? You know, have a digital <laughs> assistant do those things for you. Right. I'm like, that'd be great, right? Yeah, Everyone in the organization. Yeah. And it's a reality too. It's not it just is. paperware, no. vaporware anymore. Like the use cases are there. They're proved out. Even from firsthand experience, we have finance managers that no longer run reports anymore. Go figure. They didn't like that. They yep. wanted to do the, the planning, the analysis. That's where that's what they enjoy about their job. And now this digital executive assistant does the reporting for them. These supply chain managers no longer have to coordinate the ordering and bartering of the raw materials that they need. And they're not missing out on those orders because of workflow. These procurement people are no longer, these buyers are no longer bidding against their own co-workers, driving up the price of these, these goods that they need to buy because the process is being managed by workflow, another digital assistant. It's not just a marketing slide anymore. These digital executive assistants are, are real. They're out there. Um, Matt, I've really enjoyed this conversation thus far, but we are coming up against our time here. I know you're a busy guy. So a couple rapid fire questions for you. Okay. So we have automation leaders listening now that are everywhere on their hyper automation journey. Some are, you know, extremely advanced. They have hundreds of bots in deployment and tens of millions of dollars of cost repurposed logged. On the other end, we have some hyper automation leaders that may be emerging out of enterprise architecture that are transitioning into hyper automation. Maybe they have one or two process analysts, you know, that are, are working with them. So earlier on their adoption curve or their hyper automation journey, if you could put anything on a billboard for our hyper automation leaders across, you know, the spectrum of adoption to see every day as they're driving to work, what would what would that billboard say? Anything on a billboard that for all our higher automation measure. <laughs> measure, okay. I, um, I, I think I get what you mean plan. by that, but explain. Um, yeah, measure, measure and plan. Things are constantly changing, right? And if you're not measuring it, you don't really know the true impact, right? So we talked, as you mentioned, right, if you make all this investment, well, things change and your, your, your organization is constantly evolving. And are you still getting the benefits that you once thought that you were getting? And then, well, is if you don't measure, you don't know where to improve next, right? So it's it, it's an old saying, right? Well, the, the first ring of the towel, right? You get a lot more water than the second. And mm. a lot of automation, hyper automation is I, I feel like I have success in the beginning, but there's there's more success that can be had. But we, we move on to other areas, right? And then we leave things alone, right? We see bots that have been out there forever and they start losing their luster after a while. Why? Not because they're not working as intended. It's because the business has evolved and changed a little bit at a time. And if we're not measuring that, we can't really pinpoint 
when do I have to make a change and adjust that right from that perspective and in there. So I think, you know, I say measure and plan. So planning as well, right. I think it's very important to not not apply automation, right. For automation's sake, it's great for learning and to get Mm. um, understanding throughout an organization of what it can mean to them, but take a step back and plan, truly understand what your processes are. What are the outcomes? What are your goals and objectives that you're trying to get to? And then how do you have a plan to actually achieve that? And the only way you're knowing on plan is to measure back to that plan and see where you're mm-hmm. doing and what adjustments that are needed. I think automation is never done. It's a continuous, right? I, and, and of course, I come from the continuous optimization you know, process optimization background. So I'm always like, there's, it's, it's, it's continuous, right? And that closed circle. So yeah, I'd say measure and plan. Um, yeah. Thank you. Optimize. Yeah. Measure and plan. That's great (laughs) advice. Thank you, Matt. Um, Next rapid fire question is across all the technologies we've spoken about today and those that you're responsible for at IBM, what's your favorite and why? What is my favorite? Well, I mean, so my, my favorite, I would say it's not so much the, the technology, and I would say that really early on. I had a manager when I was in my mid-20s and said, I, he had a realization. He's like, you're one of the best technologists when I was in services and consulting that I've met. But that's not what you enjoy. He's like, you enjoy solving and improving businesses and problems for businesses. I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. And it's a tool. So I don't think it's a technology. I, I love continuous process optimization. I love business automation, right? And um, probably comes back from time growing up on a dairy farm in the middle of nowhere, where you know people were hard to get, so automation it was needed all along the board because you can't find enough people, right? And they're the most expensive, unreliable aspect of it. So it's the outcome, right? So I look at what I what I control. We talk about different technologies, right? And, and I would say they're, they're capabilities now, right? So before we had very disparate technologies, you had to make a choice: Am I doing is this an RPA technology? Is this a workflow technology? Is this a decisions? Well. The, the market has evolved where we just want an automation platform that has all of these capabilities cohesively combined. So I can just automate a solution and just it has the capabilities and that I can leverage depending if it's a process that needs a bot that needs decisions in one cohesive, simple way of doing that. And then at, at, and, and then multi persona, right, that who can do it. Right. So I think that's the other part is those that allow the, the, the individuals that have the business knowledge to be able to automate those things themselves is probably my favorite thing right now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I see that as the biggest impact and the excitement and, and the number of people that have grown that I've worked with probably in the last probably five years. You know, one of the most talented individuals I've ever worked with and had the pleasure of, of having in my life was a bank teller when I met him and is now wow. one of the, the most brilliant um, technologists who just le- started with workflow and BPM and now works for, work for several of the largest, uh, tech, most prominent technology companies uh, doing AI, AI and machine learning um, and now moving into some virtual stuff. So I think it's the opportunity that it, that it provides people, right? That's such a beautiful answer. I'd love to pick that apart with you. We've got a lot of thoughts yeah, on do outcomes. It again. Yeah. I know we should. This has been great. Uh, Let's see. Last rapid fire question is mm-hmm. what excites you most about the future of hyper automation? It touched a little bit. I, I think it's the, the impact on the people uh, of automation. I've always said, even when we were, you know, I was working on the, before I moved in this latest role with an IBM, um, I was working on that, you know, the digital employee, the Watson orchestrate, which you've heard from IBM uh, in the past here is, um, 
that was about, you know, it's not, it's about elevating, improving the individual, right? It's not about just automating what they do, but freeing them up to have a better life, right? And giving you more time to do what you enjoy and having satisfaction in the time that we have here, right? That to me is, is the biggest. Now, end of the day, right? The other biggest part is just to see what it can do with technology and, and, and what organizations can, can harvest from it, right? And which will give them time to innovate and invent. And, we'll, and, and so we can see more better servicing out there, better health care, better products that, that help society as a whole, right? If that's being in servicing and insurance or what, lowering costs or, or whatnot, right? I think that's the biggest benefit of hyper-automation there is the, the overall impact it'll have on, on the human being at, at the end of the day is what kind of drives me. That's just beautiful. I don't think... <laughs> uh... I don't think it could be said better, really. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Matt. And with that, we're, we're going to close out. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Get your hands on more content like this by following us on LinkedIn and YouTube down in the show notes. And say hello. We'd love to hear your thoughts, perhaps even on an upcoming episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast brought to you by Salient Process.